Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Our second text comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life, those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation? Of them, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for your word and for time and space to sit with it and to worship you. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to the message you have for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, today we come to the end of a series that we have been doing for the past four weeks on Micah chapter 6. We've thought a lot together about what it means to be required to do these certain things by God. Pastor Garrett started from this stance of repentance And we thought together about what it meant to do justice and to love kindness. And now today we consider the last statement. To walk humbly with your God. Right away, I love this challenge. Walk humbly with your God. And right off the bat, I love it for a couple of reasons. First, because it indicates movement. Walk. It reminds us that when we truly are engaged with God, we don't end up in the same place that we started. Garrett and I know this, having lived in a different place and not even being on our radar that we might end up in Detroit, and then a year and a half later, here we are. Sometimes, because of our relationship with God, we physically move. Sometimes we mentally move. Sometimes we emotionally move, but we always spiritually move. 
A former pastor of mine used to remind us every single week that God loves us exactly where we are, but God loves us too much to let us stay there. I also love this charge to walk humbly with your God because it reminds us that God is with us, that we're not on the journey alone, that we don't walk around the world trying to get to a certain destination where God will be like the Wizard of Oz. We are walking along with God the whole way. But what does it look like to go on this journey with humility? Walk humbly with your God. It seems to me that our lectionary text from the Gospel of Mark might give us a clue today. This passage tells the story of a confrontation between Peter and Jesus. In the verses right before this, Peter has proclaimed boldly that Jesus is Messiah. But then, just a few moments later, he gets it wrong. Jesus is explaining to the disciples that he's on a road that is going to lead to suffering and to death, and Peter tries to derail him. Peter has called Jesus aside, and we can imagine Peter saying, Jesus, you've got it all wrong. Suffering is not the way to go. You are too good for that. Jesus, surely you could just use your power to accomplish whatever your holy task is. You can claim your victory in some other way. Don't suffer. But Jesus knows that this is wrong, and he rebukes Peter. In fact, he even calls him Satan in this moment. And then he gathers everyone up, and Jesus says to them, If you want to become my followers, you have to take up your cross and follow me. For those that want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake or the sake of the gospel will save it. So walking humbly with God must have something to do with taking up our cross and following Jesus. You know, as pastors, Garrett and I have gotten, been gifted with a lot of beautiful crosses over the years. I think it's sort of a standard pastor gift, which makes a lot of sense, right? They are holy. They would like crosses. But we have gotten beautiful, big iron crosses. We've gotten little hand-painted wooden crosses. We've gotten jeweled cross necklaces. We've gotten crosses made from wood, from olive trees in the Holy Land. And at my first church, I was actually given cross bookends. They make everything. Eventually, Garrett and I might have enough crosses that we can have a whole room in our home furnished in a cross theme decorating scheme. We, we already do, he says. <laughs> These crosses are beautiful reminders of what the center of our faith truly is and of what we do for a vocation. But if we spend some time thinking about it, it's a little strange how commonplace this symbol has become how benign this symbol has become. James Cone is thought to be the founder of black liberation theology, and he speaks to this in a really interesting way. He said, 
The cross has been detached from any reference to the ongoing suffering and oppression of human history and transformed into a harmless, non-offensive ornament that Christians wear around their necks. Rather than reminding us of the cost of discipleship, it's become a form of cheap grace, an easy way to salvation that doesn't force us to confront the power of Christ's message and mission. And he's right, isn't he? There's nothing wrong with cross necklaces or cross decorations hanging on the wall, but I think we've whitewashed the harsh sting right out of the symbol, and now we don't even look twice or really think about what the message is. We forget that the crosses we wear and decorate with aren't just a symbol of something that happened in the past, but are actually a reminder of continual suffering and injustice in our world today. James Cone wrote a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And in this book, he highlights the scandal of the cross by putting it in comparison with the lynching tree. In doing so, he helps us to get a more accurate understanding of just how radical the symbol of the cross is. We know the horrible history of lynching. Specifically in the United States, we know the history of lynching as a form of white supremacy. And we have to acknowledge that it's actually part of our Christian history. It was white Christians who were the ones lynching black men and women. And in the years from 1880 to 1940, nearly 5,000 people were lynched. Cone points out that these lynchings were echoes of Roman crucifixion. And he even called the crucifixion of Jesus a first-century lynching. Saying these two interpret one another, the cross and the lynching tree. Both were public spectacles, shameful events, instruments of punishment reserved for the most despised people in society. It's haunting to imagine a scene of crucifixion and see how eerily similar it is to the scene of a lynching. Angry mobs shouting public spectacles, a terribly barbaric form of execution, all meant to demonstrate who was truly in control. Can you imagine gifting pastors with a decorative lynching tree? Of course not, right? It's a horrific thought. But that very fact demonstrates just how much we've sanitized the cross as a symbol. Cone didn't make this cross-lynching tree comparison for shock and awe, but to help Americans see Jesus in a new light. One that might empower them to take a stand against white supremacy and about injustice of all kinds everywhere. Because when it comes down to it, we are a lot like Peter. We tend to push back whenever the path of our religious life crosses a path of suffering. We say, surely that's not the right way. We like to be thinking of ourselves first and foremost and to be on a road that is easy and light. We would much rather wear a cross than take one up 
in a way that makes us encounter suffering, whether it's our own or someone else's. To walk humbly with God, we must think of ourselves less and take up that kind of cross. To bear a cross is a phrase that has been misused in sometimes funny and entertaining and sometimes devastating ways over the years. Hear me say that a long commute is not your cross to bear. Looking a little bit different is not your cross to bear. Staying in an abusive relationship is certainly not your cross to bear. We all face unique challenges, and we must remember that God is with us in those and desires for us to be whole. But the cross that we are called to bear is the same cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. When we wonder what that looks like, we see in the Gospels Jesus aligning himself over and over again with the oppressed, touching the untouchables, teaching women in a time when that was not standard, welcoming children, eating with prostitutes and tax collectors, challenging those in power. Those actions threatened the status quo enough that Jesus was brought to that first century lynching tree. The cross that we are asked to bear is the kingdom of God perspective that Jesus showed us and the actions that go along with it. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. These three commands, as we talked about last week, are really interconnected. If we are doing justice with a lovingly kind kind of mercy, then we will be humbly walking on the road with God. Because God is wherever there are people suffering. God is where justice needs to be done. And God is with us. We'd like to think that some of these things are in the past, especially that lynching is in the past, but the events at the United States Capitol on January 6th remind us that that's not the case. You might have seen some of the coverage of the news that there was actually a mob that built gallows in front of the Capitol. The horror of lynching might not be as pressing as it used to be, and it might not always be displayed in such literal ways, but the same spirit of oppression and of hate exists. Where else is there suffering or injustice in our world today? Those are the places that God asks us to humbly walk with our feet planted in the ground. Peter faltered quite a bit. Jesus calls him Satan in this text from today, and we know that a while later, as Jesus is arrested, Peter will deny even knowing Jesus three times. But he figures it out, doesn't he? He learns what it is to walk humbly with God after spending so much time with Jesus. And somehow Peter journeys from selfish worry to humble service. 
We know because later in the New Testament, we hear stories of Peter risking everything, risking his very life to go and tell the good news of the gospel to everyone he could. Peter became the rock that the church was built on. Walking humbly with God. Our call is the same, to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly, planting our feet on that earthy soil and thinking of ourselves less. So take up the cross acknowledging its true scandal. Take it up not just by wearing it around your neck and going to church, but allow those symbols that you do wear and see remind you of what's truly behind it. An alignment with the oppressed, with the disinherited, awakening us to the suffering of here and now and fighting for justice. As you put one foot in front of the another on this journey, know that God goes with you and that God brings life out of death, transforming those scandalous images into the potential of hope and of life. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for the hard challenges you give us in Scripture and in the life of Jesus Christ. Lord, we may fumble through like Peter over and over again, not knowing just how to handle suffering in our midst. We pray that you would show us how to put one foot in front of the next over and over again, and that you would remind us that you go with us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you.